You're listening to The Jen and Don Show. The news you need to know. Now, here's Jen and Don on AM590, The Answer. A sad story uh, from our neighborhood, Don. More than 300 mourners gathered outside Pomona Police Headquarters on Sunday night for a candlelight vigil where officers wore black mourning bands with the number 16 on them to represent Greg Casillas. He is a police officer who lost his life in the line of duty, and the number 16 was his badge number. They wore that over their badges. The Pomona Police Chief, Michael Oliveri, had some kind words to say about this police officer who lost his life in a foot pursuit that led to uh, a suspect barricading himself into an apartment complex. Take a listen to the Pomona Police Chief, Michael Oliveri. Greg is a hero, a man to be looked up to. He left his family uh, at home to protect yours, and his ultimate sacrifice will never be forgotten. Quite a moving procession as his body was escorted by several hundred police cars to the coroner's office. I don't know if you had a chance to see this particular video. It's amazing. This was absolutely the way that you greet a hero. And a hero, indeed, he was. What occurred, essentially, was a a chase that resulted in a 15-hour standoff. And at the uh, height of the standoff, of course, is when the two officers were uh, following him into an apartment building and the individual, I think it's pronounced Isaias de Jesus Valencia of Pomona, shot through a closed door, striking one officer. And then when his partner uh, went to pull him out of the way is when his partner received an injury uh, to his face. Now, Obviously, the tragic part of the story is the death of this police officer and the wounding of another one, particularly since this officer was just installed, Jennifer. Um, He had been with the department uh, initially in civilian position, and as he got his training, he just began. uh, Yeah, he just completed his field training. Exactly, and this was he was right at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And the other very tragic part of this story, though, is we're learning about the individual that shot the two police officers. Um, Valencia served in the military. He's believed that he that this whole event could possibly have been prevented with the right mental health programs in place. His neighbors described Valencia as an individual who was also a father, was a kind individual, and suffered from the, uh, I'm not going to say it was PTSD because they really haven't released this information as of yet, but did have mental issues. And we don't know even yet what set him off on uh, last week that resulted in this tragic uh, shooting. But we've had two veterans now in the past week who have been involved in uh, shooting deaths in in, uh, these tragic events. And so something is at the source of this. Uh, A neighbor of the suspect said, as you mentioned, that he served in the military and the quote was in need, extreme need of mental health care. Now, when you factor in the event that happened in Yontville, you're right, by another former member of the armed services who barricaded himself into a hospital and took hostages. Of course, the conversation will always turn to mental health and the mental health care available to people returning back to civilian life. But uh, don't want to just distract from Officer Casillas because he had quite 
despite the the outpouring of support from multiple law enforcement agencies. A little more about him. Not only did he have these 300 mourners that gathered outside Pomona Police Headquarters on Sunday night, but his colleagues remembered him as a six, he was six foot four. So they called him the gentle giant. They called him a hard worker who loved to joke around with and motivate his co-workers. He's a father of two small children, if the story could be any more tragic, and had a wife at home. He was just starting to build a family with his wife. He always dreamed about becoming a police officer. And as you mentioned, got his foot in the door uh, by taking an administrative job back in 2014 as he worked his way up to accomplishing that dream, which he was just so close to doing. He did. And uh, this uh, police pursuit came after a call about a reckless driver came in at about 9 p.m. on March the 9th. Officers then gave chase to Valencia after he ran into an apartment building and then barricaded himself in a bedroom. Uh, The officers attempted to contact him, and that's when he began firing through the door, striking both officers, as I described earlier. Now, the suspect will be in court. He has been charged. He was booked on suspicion of murder, an attempted murder. He's sitting in jail now uh, without the the possibility of bail. He will appear in court on Tuesday morning. And, uh, and boy, just a a tragic story all the way around from uh, the, the suspect and his mental condition to, of course, losing one of our local heroes, a local law enforcement officer. And it's one of those days, Don, where today I know we can be tough on law enforcement sometimes. And uh, it's, a, it's a day where you just need to give a, a smile and a tip of the hat because these are the men and women who run into danger while all of us are running in the other direction. Yeah, and we'll learn more about the suspect in the days uh, to come and more about his condition. He was well-known in the neighborhood to be a giver. A neighbor says that he did not have anything against police officers. In his mind, he was fighting for his life. He saw demons. He was not anti-police. He was not anti-government. He fed the homeless. He That's the kind of person he was is how a neighbor describes him. So. Just, as you said, tragic all the way around. A sick person, that's right. All right, moving on to some other disturbing news. This story is a strange one out of Austin, Texas. And uh, we're learning more information about what's actually unfolding in Austin, which is the site of the South by Southwest Festival. A lot of big names uh, attending that event. Arnold Schwarzenegger was there over the weekend. Lots of celebrities, lots of politicians. Elon Musk spoke. So this is kind of a who's who uh, of pop culture that uh, go to the South by Southwest Festival. And in Austin... and. I'm not suggesting that this is related, just all happens to be going on at the same time. Three explosions that occurred when people picked up packages outside their residence appear to be connected. This is according to Austin, Texas Police Chief Brian Manley. He said this Monday at a news conference, a Monday morning explosion killed a 17-year-old African-American boy, also injured a woman at the house. A second Monday explosion left a 75-year-old woman in critical condition, according to the chief, and an earlier March 2nd blast killed a 39-year-old African-American man. All the explosions occurred when people who lived at the residence went outside and picked up packages. Now, the packages weren't delivered by the Postal Service or delivery services like UPS or Federal Express. They pick up that package that would cause the explosion. The evidence, they say, makes us believe that the incidents are related, but they said that they have ruled out the possibility that this is terrorism, although I think sending explosive packages is some form of terrorism. Uh, They haven't decided. Terrorism would be if there's a political, a political angle, we don't know that yet. Uh, and that's they why it seems early. These yet. 
Exactly right. It seems premature to rule this out, uh, but they have not ruled out the fact that it, these are, could be hate crimes because the people that have been uh, hurt and killed during these explosions have been African-Americans. Well, the 75-year-old woman that was injured today is actually Hispanic, so they are all people of color. The police chief is warning the public now about receiving unexpected or suspicious-looking devices um, in average size delivery boxes, but declined to offer any more specifics about the packages because uh, they want to maintain the integrity of the investigation. This is it is all very uh, bizarre because these uh, these individuals are people of color that appear to have been targeted specifically at their homes. And it all happened within a six-mile radius. So the the police are saying, yes, the bombings are definitely linked. Uh, and they're issuing a cautionary note to everybody that you want to make sure that you don't pick up any packages. The packages are detonated either by moving them or opening them. It sounds like, based on the description of what happens, that the packages are being deton- are, are automatically detonated once they're opened. So this is very uh, – this is the most chicken – I mean, not that there is a non-chicken kind of a crime, but to to target people in their homes, people you don't know, people who are unsuspecting, uh, seems to me to be one of the most perverse kinds of crimes uh, that can happen. Uh, I'd agree with you on that. And it's unclear whether or not the person who is sending these boxes out knows these people. We don't know what the connection could be. It is that small six-mile radius. As you mentioned, the governor of Texas is Greg Abbott. He announced a $15,000 reward for more information leading to the identification and arrest of the person or persons involved in the package blast. He also said to people who are out enjoying that South by Southwest conference that uh, or event, that they should continue to go on just to make sure to keep their eyes open, which is, I think, sadly, the lesson that we all must uh, must get into. Situational awareness these days seems to be a lifesaver, sadly, with so many people perpetrating so many crazy crimes. Now, well, it's keeping the Austin police very busy. They've received 34 suspicious package calls since 8-12 in the morning. And uh, the, police, the police spokeswoman saying, I can't fault people for being you know, careful, uh, they're just having to respond to one suspicious package after another. These calls coming in, in some cases, within seconds of each other. All right. Also uh, going on, it is a busy, busy news day. The Trump administration on Saturday began their process to ban bump stocks through regulatory action. The White House also released a plan uh, that would propose arming teachers. It kind of backpedals on raising the age to buy guns. Remember, President Trump talked about raising that age to 21 from 18. Uh, He said that there's just not a lot of political supports to raise, to increase the minimum wage. He did talk about investigating hardening school security, but also doing a deep dive into mental health measures, doing a commission on school violence, and also an investigation into the FBI. FBI tip lines, of course, had information on Nicholas Cruz, the shooter in the Florida high school, in Stoneman Douglas High School, and uh, they want to see where those failures are. So that plan being released by the White House in Florida over the weekend, Rick Scott signed a controversial bill that did raise the minimum age to purchase weapons from 18 to 21. It also required a three-day waiting period for all firearm purchases. It banned the sale of bump stocks. 
It allows judges to confiscate weapons from people deemed a threat and uh, provides hundreds of millions in funding for mental health and school security. It also creates a $67 million program for sheriffs to train gun-wielding school personnel on how to take down an active shooter. The NRA has sued the state of Florida in response, Don, because specifically this uh, this increase in the minimum wage from eight, the minimum age, excuse me, from 18 to 21, because as we know in the Constitution, it says we can arm a militia 17 and older. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I you love got it. it. You, I love it when you say that's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. More up ahead. It is the Jen and Don Show on AM 590. The answer. Welcome back to the Jen and Don Show. Now, here's Jen and Don. President Trump was in Pennsylvania over the weekend in Moon Township, Pennsylvania, where he was holding, well, the intention was, Don, he was holding a rally for Rick Saccone, who is a candidate for congressional district against Connor Lamb. They're going to be voting in an election on Tuesday, and it's a big one. A lot of the talking heads say that there could be implications as to how the midterm elections will go based on this particular race. But uh, President Trump spent time at the rally talking, well, very little about Rick Saccone. Did you see any of this? <laughs> well, I've, I've seen clips. And yes, you're right. I mean, this is a very tight race that is that, that exists primarily because Tim Murphy, who was a Republican in this particular district, resigned in 2017 because of reports that he had asked his mistress to get an abortion. Um, it's kind of awkward because Rick, Tim Murphy is a staunch anti-abortionist. So that kind of got weird. And then now the numbers are suggesting that this has closed. This race has gotten to plus or minus 3% in a district that Donald Trump won by 20%. What a lot of people don't realize, though, is that this particular district, and we'll hear from President Trump here in just a minute, actually has 77,000 more registered Democratic voters than there are Republican voters. This is an area of Pennsylvania that's south of Pittsburgh in the Pittsburgh suburbs. And if you watch CNN or if you watch MSNBC, NBC, you're hearing a lot about how can this race be so close with President Trump winning this district by 20 points, so essentially almost 20 points during the 2016 election. And I would say you have this many Democratic voters in this, in this district. You have more Democrats than Republicans, a sizable amount. President Trump was able to convert some of those Democratic voters over to vote for him. That's what got him the win in the 2016 election. He was able to get Democrats who voted for Obama and Democrats in the past to to take a chance and vote for him because the Democratic Party left them behind. In this particular case, Connor Lamb is a much more moderate Democrat. And so the fight is on for those Democrats who voted for Trump, but who may also consider going back to vote Democrat again for someone like Connor Lamb, who's a much more moderate candidate than we're seeing the Democratic Party put out. And this is the first special election of 2018 as well. So, you know, the things that Donald Trump has been able to put to bed, for instance, his tax bill, um, the the North Korea, all of those things are going to be, I, I think this could be a test of whether or not his agenda has is pleasing to a district that is made up, as you say, dominant uh, de- Democratic voters. 
And that's why so many people are watching this race. So let's jump into some of this audio now. President Trump endorsing Rick Saccone, the Republican candidate running against Connor Lamb, the Democrat. And uh, he did a, he did take a lot of time talking about some of his key achievements, because, again, his role is to rally that base that may not always vote for Republican candidates. He's trying to convert some of these Democrats to Republican voters. And this has been the trend in Moon Township, Pennsylvania. They've seen more or in this district, they've seen more Republican votes kind of creeping in since the mid 90s. Here is President Trump now talking about steel and aluminum after he passes tariffs or signed the bill for them last week. Pennsylvania is the state that gave us American independence, American freedom, and what else? American steel. American steel. They've been talking a little bit about steel over the last little while, haven't they? And we're saving the steel, and a lot of steel mills are now opening up because of what I did. And not all of my friends on Wall Street love it, but we love it because we know what it does. Many plants have just announced over the last few days that they're expanding, opening. Steel is back. It's going to be back, too. Steel is back, and aluminum is back. It's going to be back. And on November 8th, Pennsylvania is the state that gave us the 45th president of the United States. Well, exactly right. This 18th congressional district, which is in the western part of the state, is a blue-collar rural area. Union workers are a key demographic in this. And as you said, 80,000 members of the district um, are, are individuals that may not be as friendly to a Republican candidate locally as they were to President Trump during the election. Uh, big disparity in the spending, too. Lamb raised and spent more than $3.3 million. Saccone, only 703 Money in politics is a big deal, Jennifer. And another aspect to this entire region is we're learning more and more about this opioid crisis. And this is an area that has seen a little bit of that. And he addressed that directly by talking about how drug dealers should get the death penalty. You kill one person, you get the death penalty. You kill 5,000 people with drugs because you're smuggling them in. They don't even put you in jail. They don't do anything. But you might get 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. You might get a year, but you're not going to get. And then you wonder why we have a problem. These people are killing our kids and they're killing our families and we have to do something. That's the president there making a very controversial statement, one of many in this speech, this rally for Rick Saccone, where he suggested that drug dealers should get the death penalty. I understand that, Don, from an emotional standpoint, where people think, yes, these people are responsible for killing thousands and thousands of people just single handedly. But uh, I think as a conservative and as someone who just preaches personal responsibility, uh, that's a tough, slippery slope to go down. Obviously, we want harsh punishments, but uh, there also is some personal choice and responsibility involved in all of this. Now, the controversy continued as President Trump took on one of his nemesis in the mainstream news media, Chuck Todd from Meet the Press and NBC News. Uh, got a nice little smack from President Trump. You ever see the story where I'm, it's 1999. I'm on Meet the Press, a show now headed by sleepy eyes Chuck Todd. He's a sleeping son of a bitch, I'll tell you. And they showed it this morning, 1999, and I'm talking about North Korea. You got to take them out now. And then they have Clinton, 
saying, we are pleased to announce that we have made a deal with North Korea. Well, you know how that deal turned out, right? And for his part, Chuck Todd responded, uh, I think, in a little humor-filled way, urging people via Twitter Saturday night to set their DVRs to record his show before your eyes get too sleepy. (laughs) He was then on uh, DC's NBC4 station early Sunday acknowledging the insult in more broader terms. He says, I keep my kids up to respect the office of the presidency and the president. I don't allow them to say anything negative ever about the president. And it creates a challenge to all parents when he says things like this. He Chuck Todd used a different word, but he didn't reserve uh, his barbs for Chuck Todd. He ripped into Nancy Pelosi and low IQ Maxine Uh-oh. Waters <laughs> like this. But we can only do that if we elect people who are going to back our agenda and fight for our values. And that is why we have to defeat Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters, a very low IQ individual. You ever see her? You ever seen her? You ever see her? We will impeach him. We will impeach the press. But he hasn't done anything wrong. It doesn't matter. We will impeach him. She's a low IQ individual. You can't help it. She really is. We will impeach her. But you have Maxine Waters and you have plenty of others. Maxine Waters is, uh, was on her favorite place over the weekend. She went to AM Joy and uh, she said, if Mueller doesn't get Trump, well, Stormy Daniels will get him, of course, making a reference to uh, that former porn star that uh, President Trump is dealing with that controversy. He uh, paid her 130, well, allegedly his lawyer paid her $130,000, which she wants to give back to tell the story of Trump. We'll see how that goes. But uh, he talked about this new campaign. You know, Don, we talked about President Trump launching into a reelection campaign awfully early, maybe one of the earliest reelection campaigns on record. And he has a brand new slogan for 2020. You know what the new slogan will be? Because I can't use it in three years from now. I can't use it. I can't go like in four years and say, here's my slogan which is now two and a half years we'll have to start thinking, right? It's getting close. We can't say make America great again because I already did that, right? So, so our, not my slogan, our slogan, this is a team, our new slogan will be, and you know, this is on the assumption it happens, which I'm almost positive. Can never be 100% sure. I never like to go too far in advance, but let's assume it's going like it's going. But our new slogan, when we start running in, can you believe it, two years from now, is going to be, keep America great, exclamation point, keep America great. It's actually pretty good marketing because people are now going to be switching off from Make America Great hats to Keep America Great hats. So You're going to get one? Whole brand new. Sure, yeah, especially if I can get Donald Trump to sign it. And there's actually an opportunity for folks to get their hats signed. I don't know if they'll get close enough. <laughs> Donald Trump's coming <laughs> yeah. into the hood tomorrow. <laughs> don't send a bunch of people with hats down there. He'll never speak to you again. <laughs> Tuesday. He's coming. He's coming. And the, all the people in, in California, Jennifer, the right to dream, the right to $15 an hour, the right to health the right to housing and right to free education folks are going to 
they're going to put out the welcome mat for Donald Trump all over Southern California and California. His last uh, comment here that we have for you, it has directly to do with his recent, uh, the recent announcement by South Korea that North Korea wants to engage in talks to denuclearize. So, of course, President Trump, including a little bit of that on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania. So the South Korean top people, top representatives, they walked out the White House to a throng of these characters. Big, big group. And everybody wanted to find out what happened. Now, they had just left North Korea. And look, North Korea is tough. They're testing nuclear weapons. They're doing a lot of things. A lot of, this should have been handled, by the way, over the last 30 years, not now. That's when it should have been handled. They shouldn't have handled it. This should have been handled. And everybody will say it, too. But that's okay. Because that's what we do. We handle things. And these guys came out. And they said that your president has done a great job, I might say. Speaking of North Korea, President Trump, they're saying he did a great job. But Raj Shah, one of his uh, spokespeople at the White House, he, he works under Sarah Huckabee Sanders, got uh, a little controversial by saying uh, Kim Jong-un might be invited to the White House. We'll have that story for you next. It's the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Who do you trust with your real estate financing? We all get our money the same place. We all have the same basic programs. The question is, who has the knowledge and, more importantly, the integrity to advise you with your best interests? in mind. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender and host of the main event, heard Saturdays and Sundays right here on 590 The Answer. For over 20 years, Wholesale Capital has been putting your interests first. What would I advise you if you were my brother or my sister, my mom and dad, or my son and daughter? If you're in the market for a new home to live in, a vacation home, or an investment property, if you need to refinance, or if you're a senior that's considering that wonderful financing tool known as a reverse mortgage, and you want the comfort of knowing that you're talking to a company that you can trust to look out for your best interest on one of the largest transactions you'll ever make in your life, Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, area code 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM 590, The Answer. You're listening to The Jen and Don Show. Who knows what is going on with the water in North Korea? Because Kim Jong-un now says that he hopes to sign a peace deal after his upcoming meeting with President Donald Trump, which is tentatively set for May. This is according to Bloomberg's reporting, and it cites a South Korean report. South Korea's national newspaper spoke to an unidentified senior official from President Moon's office who said Kim will likely raise the possibility of a peace treaty. And Don, that has a lot of people scratching their heads and saying, what changed when just a few months ago he was wishing death on President Trump and calling him a moron? I don't know. Let's say maybe it's lack of funds. Sanctions? <laughs> I know. Could, money could, money could means be, everything. Could it be my bank account is going to run out by, I don't know, oh, September or so? And we won't have any more money to buy anything. This this is happening in the midst of the mainstream media continuing to doubt whether or not Donald Trump is capable of having a 
some sort of a conversation with Kim Jong-un, this is really an opportunity for the media to recognize that something special is going on. But no, they're wasting it on speculation as to whether or not Donald Trump can even have a lucid conversation uh, with Kim Jong-un about diplomatic relations and the lofty things of foreign policy. I would say Donald Trump is uniquely positioned for this. Yeah, I think that uh, Donald Trump's strong rhetoric and the ability for him to sanction, he really has sanctioned North Korea uh, in big ways. I read an article I think I told you about where 80 percent, maybe more of the Korean North Korean economy has been compromised by the sanctions. And this last round that Donald Trump and the White House imposed on to North Korea actually went after China and Russia as well, which were feeding North Korea's economy sort of through the back door in an underhanded sort of way. So these people that were working to help prop up the North Korean economy have now been hit. And it seems to be paying off on one of the Sunday shows, Raj Shah, who is a spokesperson Person for the White House, works under Sarah Huckabee Sanders, talks about North Korea and these three promises that they have to keep in order to get that meeting or to keep that meeting with President Trump, which we expect will happen in the next month to month and a half. They have to meet the promises that they relayed to the South Koreans, which is, again, uh, ceasing missile testing, ceasing nuclear okay, testing. That's I mean, pausing something. But are there concrete actions that they've agreed to take? Again, th- this meeting, uh, this this potential meeting has been agreed to. Uh, there are no additional conditions being stipulated. But again, they, they cannot engage in missile testing. They cannot engage in nuclear testing. And they can't publicly object to the U.S.-South Korea uh, planned military exercises. Is there any chance this, this blows up doesn't happen? Uh, there, there, there's the possibility. If it does, it's the North Koreans' fault. They have not lived up to the promises that they made. Exactly. One of the big, uh, I guess, sticking points for the media is the fact that they think, they, they put it this way, that Donald Trump has gifted North Korea with a level of recognition and validation that is something that should only happen after significant changes have been made, not just to the country's nuclear program, but to basic human rights and civil liberties. So they're saying that Donald Trump is getting the cart before the horse, that the conversation with Trump should be the reward for coming to the table, pounding out agreements, and then the meeting for, with Donald Trump. I don't know. Um the, the 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 manual for structuring these kinds of uh, foreign policy arrangements uh, hasn't seemed to work up till this point. So the fact that Donald Trump is the atypical throw the manual out and let's try something new, especially after you know it was funny that he uh, Donald Trump in his speech he called back to his 1999 uh, you know meeting with Tim Russert where he said North Korea's you know a rogue nation in pursuit of nuclear weapons and how that seems to have come full circle to now him being the president. Um, It hasn't worked since then. So I'm not opposed to throwing the rule book out and trying something a little bit different. Yeah, I think at this point, I don't have a problem at all with President Trump sitting down with Kim Jong-un and, and talking this out, hashing this out. What I did have a little bit of a problem about is something that uh, Raj Shah alluded to. He got asked a question as to where this meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un should happen. Now, he said that all options are on the table, including a meeting at the White House. Don, what concerns me here, and you know it just as well as I do, is that North Korea, well, I hope they have great intentions. And while I hope these sanctions are working, something different is working, strategic patience is over, and the sanctions are making North Korea come to the table, and they do truly want to come up with a peace treaty, 
I don't necessarily think that anybody trusts that that is a hundred percent the the heart of Kim Jong Un or or what really will happen. And to have him welcomed into the White House would create opportunities for so much propaganda to be used by Kim Jong Un in ineffective ways or ways that are not uh, beneficial to the United States. Raj Shah now commenting again. ABC this week is where he was about the possibility Kim Jong Un could come to the White House. Again, it's going to be a time and a place uh, to be decided. Uh, we don't have an announcement right now. But um, we have accepted this offer and we hope that it can be uh, the part of an important breakthrough. Could it be here in the United States? Would President Trump be open to actually having Kim Jong-un at the White House? Again, I have no announcement. It's at a time and a place to be determined. But he wouldn't rule that out? No, nothing's being ruled out. Including going to Pyongyang. Would would the president be open to going to North Korea, going to his turf? on? I don't think that that's, um, you know, uh, highly likely. But again, I'm not going to rule anything out. How about Dennis Rodman's man cave? You like it? <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. They I th- probably go sing karaoke together, maybe. <laughs> something. I, you know, I, I agree with you. This, You cannot bring this family's representative, the family that has been that has kept the people of North Korea living like animals for six decades. Um, you, you, in the first real conversation about uh, negotiating their denuclearization as well as some of the other things that might come out of this, the possibility that finally there could be a peace agreement that would end this 60-year-old cease, what what is only a ceasefire right now, that would be all great stuff. But I don't think you do it on American soil. Yeah, I, just, I really don't. I I feel like I would really. I, I know that I know that this is not going to happen, and I think Raja is probably being purposely very vague as to where this meeting would happen. But uh, you know, the suggestions are maybe somewhere in China, maybe somewhere in Russia. I, I would even suggest even the DMZ would be a fine location. But I think the president needs to really kind of uh, take his time with this. And even though he wants this to be an opportunity for the media to come in and see him having this meeting with Kim Jong. If I were advising the president, Don, I would say step back, do this as privately as possible, because anything that you say can and will be used against you by Kim Jong-un. Maybe this maybe this advice would work whether Trump sits down with Mueller or whether he sits down with Kim Jong-un. But take a step back. Don't bring too much of the media in. Have your plan and get it ready to go because they will take advantage. We don't trust these people. They will take advantage of you at every turn, and you want to make sure you're not giving them any free ammunition. Well, exactly right. And I think that um, you know this this statement by Raj from reflecting the nothing be ruled out is sort of just Trump's unpredictability. I think that's one of the hallmarks of his foreign policy. Is you know he 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 continued to rail against the fact that the Obama administration broadcast way too much information to our adversaries. And so he is doing exactly the opposite. And I don't know that this is necessarily sending a signal that it could be, you know, on American soil, but I think it's more about Trump's default foreign policy of, you know, constantly being unpredictable. Now, a little bit uh, of news that broke on Monday, Don, and want to get your thoughts on this. The House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence said that it found no evidence of collusion, coordination, or conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And this uh, indicates that the Russia investigation is starting to come to a close. You know, there was a committee in the Senate, a committee in the House, all looking into collusion in addition to Robert Mueller, the special counsel's investigation into the Trump campaign. Representative Conway, who's 
a Republican from Texas and who's led the bipartisan investigation into Russian meddling and potential collusion with the Trump campaign, uh, came out with a 150-page draft report with its initial findings and recommendations. And it seems they found no evidence of collusion, coordination, or conspiracy with the Trump campaign in Russia. So here, before I answer that, I'm, here's my question to you. How would you like to be the person or in charge of the process? of writing the report that's going to summarize all of the interviews, all of the documents that they've gotten from the FBI, the DOJ, mm. and any and the State Department. How would you like to be the person that coordinates all that to write the report? I was complaining to you about doing a three-page PowerPoint when I sat down, <laughs> saying my eyes are crossed. I can't oh imagine. And not only 150 pages of report, but making sure all the evidence is there, all the evidence is clearly marked, all of your findings are there. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, this does look like it's a wrap. It's coming to the end of a process. Now, they are, are the initial information we're getting out of the people that are – those those anonymous people close to the sources with knowledge of the topic uh, are saying that they have found no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. They will reveal information that hasn't been discussed too much about leak investigations. Apparently, top Obama intel off officials are going to be named in this report, those folks who leaked why it was significant in spreading disinformation, which ultimately created the snowball effect that led us to this place where we now have this special uh, counsel, Mueller, looking into this. So I think it's significant. They're going to wrap this up. They have um, additional information that we're going to learn as a result of the final report. But it defies everything that Adam Schiff has taken to the media to talk about, where he has hinted that there is evidence of collusion. We're finally going to get to call Adam on his bluff. And by hinting, I think you mean leaking, right? Well, exactly. (laughs) All right. So we'll continue to follow that. The other piece of news on that story related is that Robert Mueller could be ending, reaching the end of his investigation. And now the question is, will he move forward with obstruction charges or will he hold off on that as his investigation is wrapping up? We'll continue to follow this story. It is the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Back to the Jen and Don Show. Now, here's Jen and Don. Can you feel it, Don? Can you feel the excitement? No, not yet. And I can't at that all. That was my hand, actually. And I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that was your. Did I bite your hand off? Did I, did Pre- I just. No, you're fine. So Press- I, I want to know something before yeah. we talk about excitement. So I wanted to know, did you feel the need for a nap on Monday? No. Daylight savings time, that's right, is in full effect. I beat the system, and I'm going to whisper my secret to you so that if you are feeling awful today, and, and many people do, it's the worst day for car accidents of the whole year because people are tired and they lost an hour because you had to spring forward on Saturday into Sunday morning. But here's how you beat the system. 
you go to Arizona for the weekend. What happens in Arizona? They don't do daylight savings time. And so I actually lost my hour about four o'clock Friday afternoon as I was driving through California, four o'clock, and then boom, it was five o'clock and I was in Arizona. No harm, no foul. So no the drive actually sleep. the drive actually took you seven hours instead of six. Something like that. I don't know. Don't I don't, don't ask me to do math. All I know is that going to Arizona for daylight savings weekend is genius, and I recommend that you all do it. But just make sure that you're not clogging up traffic, so I can do it next year too. Well, I didn't realize this, but Monday is National Napping Day. It is because of daylight savings. It's time. actually a thing, and it makes sense now that we've sprung forward an hour. You know, Sunday. But I didn't know that. Now, the question is, is National Napping Day always the Monday after you spring forward? I believe so. Or does it, it move around? I had never even heard it, of... I'm sorry, does it stay? I have never even heard of National Napping Day until I saw it trending on Twitter. And then I realized I think that National Napping Day is the Monday after daylight savings since we all lose an hour. I think it, it stays in that position. Well, I think that the, the one of the most interesting positions is the one that justice ginsburg ends up in at the state of the union addresses when she's had a bottle of wine and <laughs> she's she always celebrating national napping day and takes a nap during uh the state of the union address. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's talking she was sleeping right through her guy uh, president obama's speech but you know sometimes that feeling hits you uh, one person who will probably not be sleeping is uh, is president trump who's he never coming- sleeps no, he sleeps like four hours a night. He's coming to California, and uh, that's why I asked you if you're excited because it really does feel like there's some energy in the air. President Trump coming to California's first time as president, and a lot of rallies scheduled along the border wall. He's going to go look at the prototypes of the wall. There are eight different models of wall that have been built along the border so he can see what he thinks is going to be best. But you've got lots of stuff going on. You've got a lot of pro-Trump people that'll be down there, a lot of anti-Trump people that'll be down there, politicians running for office that'll be down there it's probably going to be a madhouse actually it probably will so if you're planning on going down to that area for one of the many rallies either for or against president trump i would suggest getting down there early now there's a huge rally that is being promoted as being the safe rally uh to go to safe and huge uh don't miss it san diego's for secure borders along with san diego patriots fight sanctuary state and the remembrance project along with a lot of other patriot groups throughout California are going to hold a rally at 10 a.m. in Otay Mesa in support of Trump's visit to the San Diego border wall to view the prototypes and make a ultimately make a decision this particular rally is going to be held on a dirt lot located at 7425 Bristow Court so that's the address you plug into your GPS 7425 Bristow B-R-I-S-T-O-W Court in order to get to that very friendly rally, and I understand that there's going to be some, maybe some people that are running for office down there. Mm. I guess Travis Allen is supposed to be there, friend of the program Trevor Loudon, uh, Tim Donnelly, um, folks who are all uh, involved in these groups, along with Ruth Martin from Los Angeles, whose husband was killed by an illegal alien. So if you're going to be going there down to that area, that would be the rally to go to. 
Yeah, that sounds like a good one. We'll put that information up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Jed and Don show. One person who invited the president for, well, maybe not for tea, but this is a surprising invite, is Governor Jerry Brown. After saying that the Trump administration declared war with California when Jeff Sessions came to town last week, Jerry Brown says, I'd love to invite President Trump to come visit the bullet train. He wants to take him to Central Valley to see what $77 billion will cost you. I think we should take that money and maybe build the wall with it. Or maybe let's just run the bullet train down the southern border and that'll keep everybody out. I think Trump should go because he could, he at the press conference, he could go, man, the things I could have done with $77 billion. The other thing that Trump is doing while he's here is he's attending a fundraiser in L.A., which is going to be presenting quite the headache for police as they try to fend off a lot of the resist groups that are going to do what they can to try and find out what the route is and get in the way. Yeah, $250,000 a plate. So if you have an extra ticket, call me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you imagine? All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for listening. It's been the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer.